My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek to gain knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. Today's episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. Yes, we are launching our first ever magazine sometime this summer and will release it on a five times a year basis. It'll feature stories from people that have been on the podcast, that haven't been on the podcast, that may be on the podcast. Essentially everything from grand stories of adventure to stories about love and loss and everything that's contained within the human experience. As we continue to finalize the first issue, we'll start releasing out different teasers of the content that'll be inside it, but you can go and pre-order the first issue online right now at holocene.one, as well as find the rest of the show notes for this episode on there right now. Today, I am joined by Annie McIntosh. Annie is an artist, lifestyle model, and digital marketer hailing from Vancouver, Canada. Her love for the outdoors and sparking connection has inspired incredible adventures both around the world and close to home, which she shares to her online audience through her beautiful imagery and storytelling. When Annie's not exploring the wilderness with her camera, you'll find her creating brand strategies, drinking strong coffee, and dreaming up her next adventure. I hope you enjoy this conversation between myself and Annie McIntosh. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Annie, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. And I always start off every single podcast by asking every guest essentially the same question, which is, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? That's a really good question. Um, probably work, honestly. Um like checking emails and then social media, which is not the healthiest answer, but it's the truth. Do you do it while you're still in bed? Do you like go for a walk? Do you kind of stretch? Like what is your, do you have a morning routine that you kind of like to follow? Yeah. Like usually I'll get up and I'll make a coffee and then check emails and kind of let myself get overwhelmed <laughs> and then I'll head to the office. And, and so kind of going off, you know, mentioning the office and work, uh, how would you describe mm -hmm. the work you do now to your eight-year-old self? Oh, another good question. I think my eight-year-old self would be so confused. Um, so my job is I work in influencer marketing. I'm a community manager. So I would probably say that um, I work on the internet trying to help people be friends. <laughs> And do, do you think that they would like, be proud of that? Is that, is that what you, what, you know, what did you want to do when you were eight years old? Like, what was your dream job? When I was eight, I wanted to be a marine biologist, which I think is like a super common answer for an eight-year-old kid living on the West Coast. Um, and I think I, but I think I would be happy with this role. I think that, you know, the, the role that I found myself in is I'm surrounded by a lot of really cool people who are artists and creators and do a lot of really wonderful things in the world and with their lives. And I think if I was eight and I understood what that role was, I, I would be happy about it, but probably disappointed that I, you know, wasn't hanging out with whales, but that's kind of the way it worked out. <laughs> I mean, luckily for you, life is a long journey. So if you ever decide you want to do that, it'll probably be there for you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Maybe I'll get into the biology field one day. You never know. Totally. And I, I think, you know, it was when I was talking with Paul Nicklin, 
Um, and, you know, for, to people that aren't aware, Paul Nicklin is a, a very well-known conservationist, especially around the marine biome, um, I guess you could say. And, uh, you know, he, the same same way, he always wanted to be a scientist, but, you know, he had such a love for photography and capturing stories that he realized that he could make genuinely more impact on the world of marine biology and the animals that live in that ecosystem through media, right? And kind of sharing to the world, like what it's like and what we're doing to them with our current habits. So I think also you're in a role where you, you could potentially almost have more impact on what you wanted to do. Yeah. And I think that, you know, speaking to my eight-year-old self, that wasn't really a world that was really open when I was a kid, like social media wasn't a thing back then. I wouldn't have understood, but you're absolutely right. Like the, the power of media and photography and how it's just taken hold of so many people today. There's such an opportunity for impact. And yeah, I, like personally, I love being outside and, and spending time on the ocean and in nature and this like working in social media and marketing has weirdly allowed me to do that more than any other role that I think I would be able to be in right now. I, I agreed. And I think one thing that, you know, wasn't in the norm, you know, 20 or so years ago was also this like work-life balance that I believe our generation has, you know, where you can leave at 2 p.m. and go skiing. You know, you can take off a couple of days and take it for mental health, clarity and sanity, right? I think that, you know, past generations would look at you like you're weak or crazy, but nowadays it's it's revered, right? Totally. It's like the millennial revolution in the workspace. <laughs> and I think COVID really shifted that too. Um, kind of like the revolution of being able to work from home and people realizing that and bosses realizing that, you know, people can actually be trusted and they can do things well, especially when they feel like they they have the opportunity for balance and for taking care of themselves as well. Absolutely. And and going off of like, I, I, let's, let's kind of settle back into your current life and work. Do you have any daily yeah. habits or routines that you stick to on a daily basis that kind of help you stay grounded or help you kind of get through the day, so to speak? Yeah, one thing that I've been doing lately a lot, and I've just started getting back into it is um, writing gratitude lists. <laughs> and it sounds so cheesy. Um, but I, I really wanted to kind of start journaling and writing again. That's something that I really love to do. But I just found that the task was a little bit overwhelming. Like I, I felt like I couldn't sit down for an hour and and just write every day and have time. So I started writing gratitude lists at the end of every day, just like a list of five things that happened to me that day or that I was thinking about that I'm grateful for. And that has honestly had one of the biggest impacts. It's like a practice that I, I didn't have a lot, put a lot of stock in, but it's been amazing. It's something I do as well. And something that, you know, I, I used to look at, not, not look down on, it's the wrong terminology, but you know, it sounds kind of cheesy at first and you start doing it and you're like, oh, there's actually a lot of value to this. <laughs> so yeah, there's so much value. I got this little app called Gratitude um, and you basically add a little tile for every day. And it actually has been really cool being able to go back because you can see all the things listed out and you can add photos that you were grateful for, you know, months back. And it's also, it, it's kind of like a nice little visual diary of what's going on too. Yeah. Um, and, and similarly, and so I'll, I'll link everything below people that listen to this podcast know that I, I put show notes below, um, every episode. So I'll link that app directly in the show notes. So people are interested in, you know, checking that out for themselves. Um, I use a similar, I think it's called five minute journal. 
Um, it was like popularized based on an idea that kind of Tim Ferriss put out in his book, The 4-Hour Workweek. But the idea is you basically go through and, and you start off by saying, like, what are your goals for the day? It's like there's, there's basically it prompts you as an app in the morning and the evening, right? And the morning session is saying, uh, what are your goals for today and what are your daily affirmations? And I love the affirmation part, kind of like it's a good reminder to yourself of, you know, pushing yourself forward and giving yourself that. I think you know what I'm saying, right? It's like like allowing yourself totally. to ma manifest what you want. And at the end of the day, it kind of asks you like, what were the highlights, which I view as like, that's the gratitude section. And then this, mm -hmm. the, my favorite part is the, what could you have done to make today better? And I, I personally, like, I love that analysis of- That's super powerful, yeah. What you can do to to improve, right? Because that's all, all we're trying to do, right? Is just improve. Um, so do you meditate at all by chance? I don't. Um, I, I definitely like take time to practice things that allow me to get into kind of like a flow state. I think that's super important, but actually sitting down and meditating is not something I've been successful at practicing. I have a lot of admiration for people who are successful with that. Yeah, I, I, th I think, I think your answer is a common one and I'm not here to like say that meditation is the answer, but you know, I was someone, I, I think the story I like to tell is when I was in college, uh, headspace was like brand new this is like 2015 and i remember i tried a three minute meditation like an intro like hey why don't you just try this guided meditation for three minutes and i'm pretty sure i looked at my phone like eight times in three minutes just to see like how much longer i had right it's so uh, hard <laughs> and but but then fast forward like i've been working on it now for what is that seven years and now i will do basically an hour a day uh in, in utter silence and i think i think uh I, the only reason I've got there is because of, uh, have you ever heard of a man named Naval Ravikant? No, I haven't. So he's, he, I wouldn't call him an internet guru. That's like the wrong way, but he's just someone who is like an, an incredibly clear and brilliant thinker. And he's basically been a successful VC and entrepreneur, but he's basically turned into more of a philosopher than anything else. And he talks a lot about meditation and, you know, I didn't, meditation really didn't click for me personally until I realized that, you know, his recommendation was if you want to meditate, you need to just sit alone in a room with your thoughts, just set, set a time on your phone for an hour, just sit there, don't touch your phone, don't leave the space, like you can open your eyes, you can close your eyes, just do what your mind does, just allow your mind to go. And I think the basis of meditation is that not only are we so distracted by outside stimuli these days, but also like in order for you to reach mental clarity, you have to first, you know, process all the baggage and thoughts and everything else in the way and there's a lot of trauma or at least you know in my history and I think everyone has their own trauma mm -hmm. and stories and so you know I've learned that if you're willing to spend the time which for me it was years of processing through all this information eventually you'll find that piece but it's like been a lifesaver for me so I just always recommend people that like if it doesn't work for you it's not that it won't work ever it's just that like it involves you kind of agreeing to this kind of level of self-discipline and almost self experience that you know is is definitely rough but i think the outside is uh worth it right yeah i love that approach actually i've i've never heard of that because i think in my understanding of meditation it's always been trying to push away thoughts that enter your mind and kind of letting them go whereas this seems kind of like a gentler approach of accepting everything that's going through your mind and just sitting with it right and because i mean the idea comes <laughs> from simple right it's like you have no like we have you don't control your thoughts, you interpret your thoughts, right? So like when I tell people who are dealing, like I used to deal with immense anxiety. So like, you know, mm -hmm. I learned the hard way that like, you're not your thoughts, 
right? Um, and someone, anyone who's dealt with anxiety knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and I, I, I think with it is this beautiful idea that like, look, like if you have a busy, like you want to have peace from mind, not peace of mind. That's what Naval always said, right? It's like you want to have peace from this like monkey brain biological wetware object that's just constantly throwing thoughts and ideas and emotions and feelings, right? But in order to get there, you have to process all this stuff in the way. And so he, he basically says that like all these guided meditation apps are, are, help, are, are helping people assimilate to a voice or a breathing technique. So they're actually concentrating on something else, distracting them from what they should be doing. And the benefit of this meditation is that like you're just focusing on yourself and your thoughts. And eventually you'll hit, reach this piece. But even then, nowadays, like some days I'll meditate for an hour and I'll get 50 minutes of silence and then 10 minutes of chatter. Some days I won't get a single second of rest. It'll just be like constant thunking or worrying or something, you know, but like it helps you, it, you're basically giving yourself that space and I'm rambling at this point, so I apologize, but you're giving yourself th that space to be able to process the thoughts that I think at the end of the day eventually have to be processed, right? And that's where growth comes from. So growth hurts, right? Growth hurts. Yeah, I love that actually. I saw this really great analogy on the internet the other day um, and it was just basically comparing your emotions to fish in a pond and your mind should be the pond, not the fish. So like you are, you are the space which holds your emotions and your thoughts. You are not those emotions and thoughts. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I've been, I've been paraphrasing Yuval a lot in the past conversation, but I think, you know, his, I'll, I'll add it below, but there's a, a whole segment he's kind of talking about meditation on a couple podcasts one with tim ferris one with joe rogan one his own podcast and his own kind of like writings he does but um i i think something he said was just like pay attention to what your mind does um but you don't have to be your mind right and i think that's that's the one thing that we realize is that like the mind is a biologically evolved thing and we don't have to listen to it if we all listen to every single thought or feeling we ever had we'd all probably be dead so, you know, like we, we wouldn't have made it as far as civilization. We would have wanted to like, as soon as someone got angry, we'd kill each other or like, you know, we'd go off the deep end, you know, like that's just, but you know, but we're not, we're rational human beings, you know, we're not irrational animals. Right. So I don't know. I think animals oh. are rational, but <laughs> not all of them. Not, <laughs> I'm definitely not... up that what's his name again? Naval N A V A L. If you, if you just type that in, it'll, it'll come up. It's, it's spelled like Naval, but it's pronounced like Naval, um, but yeah, fascinating story of uh, someone who, you know, grew up with a single mother in Queens with no money and basically turned himself into a um, legendary VC and someone who really is just like a really profound thinker and someone who spends his time nowadays like at rest thinking, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Super cool. Yeah, and I, th I think that's, that's the goal of everyone, right? It's like eventually you want to get to a place where like, I mean, I'm, I'm luckily at a point now where the most, like, I love travel. I love good food. I love seeing my friends. I love like, you know, hucking cliffs on skis or bikes or doing fun stuff. But like at the end of the day, my favorite thing sometimes is like a long walk by myself with good music or like meditation or some like cold water, you know, it's like weird how it can kind of revert down this thing. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, just bring you back to yourself, bring it back to yourself and bringing back to nature, which I think is a good transition mm -hmm. to, I didn't realize this until you posted about it the other day on Instagram, but uh, you grew up on Bowen Island, which is a very small island. Um, would you, would you, where would you say it? You want, how about you describe it? You grew up there. Yeah. So it's a very small island, as you said, off of the coast of Vancouver on the West coast of British Columbia. Um, it's like six square kilometers 
population 3,300. Um, and it, it's pretty close to the mainland. It's one of the fewer Gulf Islands that is closer. It's about a 20 minute ferry ride to Vancouver. And you said you went to school on the mainland, right? I did. Yeah. So there's an elementary school there. So in Canada, it's grade like kindergarten to grade seven and then uh, no high school just because the population doesn't support it. So um, all of the Bowen kids, as we call ourselves, had to take a ferry into the city to go to high school every day. And were you guys kind of your own close knit community within the high school or did you guys assimilate pretty well? Um, it was definitely a shock to the system to be in a city at first. And then I think over the course of five years, we we kind of blended in there. There weren't that many of us. I think there was 12 kids Got it. Coming, yeah. coming from my class. So um, small. Yeah. Yeah. A small group for sure. But some, yeah, some of my closest friends are from Vancouver now because of that. And that's great. I think also like growing up in a more secluded uh, I'm, I, from what I've heard about Bowen Island, it's like very full of nature and it's like natural beauty, right? It's like very underdeveloped in, in certain ways. It is. Yeah. It's, it's starting to be discovered like the past three years, but when I was a kid, it was, yeah, it was a total hippie free for all. We were Love super that. lucky. I had a couple of friends. Um, one of my friends, <laughs> him and his brother for a game, their mom would drive through Bowen and walk them blindfolded through the woods so they didn't know where they were and then the mom would drive home and the game would be that they had to get home <laughs> I love that without taking the road. <laughs> she yeah. would just leave them <laughs> yeah that's amazing but also like it's Canada you're on a small island like everyone there is safe and helpful and like there's, they can't like run away forever yeah. right <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> oh oh Canada sometimes sometimes I wish I, I like spent more time I, I spent plenty of time up there but um so when off this like when did you decide through this process of growing up that you know nature was going to be a key uh you know motive and theme in your life is it was it was it while you're growing up it was kind of instilled in you or something you just kind of discovered yourself or were your parents big motivators for that yeah I don't think I ever made a conscious decision I think that you know, my, my upbringing and just my whole life has always been centered around, um, a, like the lifestyle of being outside and getting into nature and being active in the outdoors and B just the values of having respect for the outdoors and for the environment and taking care of her. Um, I was lucky. My parents are super outdoorsy. They, they both worked for mountain equipment co-op which is kind of like the Canadian equivalent of MEC. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and my dad still works there. Um, and they met working there and on a ski trip and yeah, just, I grew up sailing with my family and going on hikes in the Rockies. And that was, that was our family's thing was being outside. And then I think growing up on Bowen too, you just develop this great appreciation for being outside and on the West coast. I just feel so lucky to be in such a beautiful part of the world that's still relatively intact nature wise um so it, it wasn't even a thought it's just always been something that I've loved and has been super important to me to both protect and value and spend time in yeah and I love that and I love BC and I think a lot of my friends that uh you know grew up in and around BC or people I know that live there now are all of the same cloth right they're all like yeah. i guess like fierce protectors of the outdoors and its many bounty 
works, right? Um, 100%. I actually spent some time working for the brand Arcteryx, which is obviously based just outside of Vancouver. Um, yeah. And like, I, I adored that time, right? Not only because like, I got plenty of sick gear that I still use every day, but but also like, the, the whole company philosophy is unlike almost every other outdoor company. People are like, oh yeah, Patagonia is like so cool and better for the planet and stuff like that. I'm like, they're still nothing compared to like Arcteryx or even MEC in some regards. They're like, a hundred percent hold for not only the future of exploration, also the future of us, which I think is, you know, beautiful in a way. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a sentiment that's shared by a lot of British Columbian people and brands is just being in this space and it's so beautiful and there's so much wilderness still, but you can, you can very visibly see, see it being taken away quite easily. And there's a lot of movement and pressure right now from external forces like pipelines and tankers and deforestation and people are fiercely fierce about it about fighting for it good because bc is you know bc the uh yukon territory alaska like that whole corridor is like and even over into um uh i'm gonna forget the province that calgary's in like banff and stuff what province is that <laughs> Alberta, Alberta, yeah. Alberta, yeah. Um, and I and I think that you know those areas are some of the most you know heavily protected, mm -hmm. still truly wild places on this planet. Sadly, um, so I, I really hope that they remain that way. Um, I know we have our own struggles with Alaska and it, it turning into basically a, a resource you know depot, but yeah, money does drive things, unfortunately. Um, and and so off that you know. I have a lot of people who have interest in going to British Columbia, but usually like it, it can be really overwhelming with just like the amount of options and things you could do. So if, if someone was to ask you, like um, they had a week of time and it's their first time in British Columbia um, and uh, let's just say there's, there's two options, right? One was during the winter and it was during the summer. What, what would you recommend? Um, and this is a big question, but what would you recommend that, you know, these, these uh, individuals would do during that time? Um, oh my goodness. Okay. So winter time in BC is, is tough because it's Canada and it's cold and it's wet, but BC is also a big province. So there's, there's a lot to do. There's kind of like the, the coastal experience that you can have. And then there's the interior experience. So in the summertime, the interior, there's a full on wine country in the Okanagan. There's Okanagan Lake. There's some incredible interior hikes. There's big ski resorts, um, like Silver Star and big white that are incredible. Um, my experience is definitely more on the coast of BC. And I'm, I'm always push Whistler whenever anybody's coming to visit. It's just an incredible place winter or summer. It's like just a beautiful place to be. And then Vancouver Island too is beautiful. Um, that's just a two hour ferry ride off of Vancouver. Um, and there's some like really cool wild places on there. Uh, Tofino BC is a cool surf town to go visit um and you can even drive further up north north into like port hardy and those areas and it's just like wild wild forest that you won't really find anywhere else um and then having an explorer on vancouver like having the the like the city exploration is sweet i'm i'm such a biased person on this because i live in vancouver and i love it but there's yeah, so definitely. much here and it's it's a cool city it's right on the water I'm pretty sure we have like the world's longest continuous walkable seawall in Vancouver too, which is a cool thing to do as well. 
Yeah, I've, I've actually spent a, a good amount of time in and around Vancouver, as I mentioned before, and I, I think it's a really surprising city. It's, it's a lot bigger and more built up than people, I think, realize when they hear of, like, some Canadian city north of Seattle on the water, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's far bigger than Seattle. I think most people don't realize that. Um, and Seattle is a pretty sizable city to begin with. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I just I just love that access. And I was actually living in Seattle during covid um, and one of the main reasons was like being able to go to BC to like ski in the winter and had to go to Whistler and see my friends and like, et cetera, et cetera. But like, then obviously COVID happened and I was like, couldn't cross the border. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah but, I think that's the beauty that people love about Vancouver. And what I love about it too, is you're in the city. So you have all the experiences and accessibility that a city brings, but I'm also 20 minutes away from a ski hill and from the ocean and from a ferry to Vancouver Islander to see my family. Awesome. And your family is still on Bowen? They are. Yeah. Well, my parents are. Yeah. Awesome. And so, you know, you're, you're very active in the outdoors. You know, I've, I've seen you post everything about, you know, it seems like trail running, skiing, cycling, climbing. Um, do you have like a, a routine in terms of staying in shape that you follow when you're in the city? Uh, like do you use a gym or a climbing gym or do you just do your own stuff at home? Like what is your, what is your kind of routine there? Yeah, I started going to the gym in university and um, I have never stopped. I just got a stupidly expensive membership to Equinox. Which oh, is perfect. Like, yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> it's like, so, so expensive and so worth it. But yeah, I've been going there like pretty much every day and they have some really cool classes and training programs. So I've been taking advantage of that. But yeah, I think I think like the the accessibility of a gym has been really important for me for sure and also just like in injury prevention like being able to strength train has been great I kind of busted my knee skiing last year and running was kind of off the table for the past like eight months or so so like yeah just being able to like strength train and use like the actual equipment in a gym has been awesome did you did you like uh not maybe tear but did you sprain or damage like your ACL or MCL or something like that in your knee yeah it was like a partial tear of my mcl and it was the stupidest fail it was like the last run of the day just tucking down a green with far too much confidence <laughs> and i just got an edge that, that's that's how it always happens i know two people uh friends of mine in the past year that have both torn their one of them tore their acl the other one tore their acl and mcl um oh and it was both like last run of the day uh one of them caught the edge in like the bottom of like a maybe a light blue like heavy green mogul run and uh, outside yeah. Seattle and the other one, same thing was just like not paying attention. I think they were at like Schweitzer and they were in Idaho, I guess it's Idaho maybe. And they were just like not paying attention and just like caught an edge and just, just ripped it. <laughs> Which to me it's just always sounds... when you feel invincible that you bail. <laughs> like, totally. Totally. It's never on like the extreme runs where you're really focused and paying attention. It's always, yeah, on the easy ones and usually in front of a lot of people, I feel like. Yeah. I always, I always realized as a mountain bike racer that like a, during a race, I could go through like the most difficult technical session section with like drops and roots and rocks and I'll like always nail it. But I'm enduring practice. I'll like probably crash most times, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I, some, sometimes some sections like, Oh, don't you want to practice it? I'm like, um, I, I feel confident I'll do it. And if I'm crashing that, you know, there's so much adrenaline running through me, I won't even feel it. Just hop back on and keep going, you know? Um, exactly <laughs> so um but with that you know the, the comment i'll make about equinox because some people like know and live and breathe it because I, I lived in you know I, I spend a lot of time in manhattan um 
uh, New York city. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I lived there for a few years. So like New York, obviously there's like 42 equinoxes in, in like New York city alone. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and so to anyone that isn't aware, like it's highly expensive. Like I think to access all gyms, including their flagship ones, I was paying just worth like 300 us dollars a month. Um, which is yeah. a lot of money, but also for someone that was using it almost every day, for even on rest days, like using the sauna, uh, some of them have dry and wet saunas and also using like the yoga classes or the swim classes or the hit classes or the spin classes. And like, also, I think you can attest to this as well, but like the gym is so clean. I would eat sushi off the floor, like not actually, but you know it's what I'm saying? So nice. <laughs> and uh, like, I, I don't know about the other ones, like the ones in New York, but the one in Vancouver here, they have like chilled eucalyptus towels around yeah. the gym for you to yeah. use. <laughs> Yeah, it's a standard. I walked in and I was like, I'm not worthy of this experience, but it's great. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like I, I, I had a couple of friends who were like, yeah, I'm going to pay my, you know, 60, 80 bucks a year for like a lifetime or some of the local gym. And I'm like, that's fine. But like the difference in cost to me is worth it. Right. Um, and if someone is training, especially in one that clean experience. Um, and also I would say uh, to any women, especially listening to this, uh, Equinox is a place where like no guy's going to hit on you during while you're working out, um, which I think is always a plus. Um, it's just like an unspoken yeah. rule of Equinox. Like you just don't do that um, versus like planned eventness. I can't say the same, you know? Yeah, no. And I, I definitely feel like super safe at Equinox, which is really nice. But I didn't realize how much of a cult thing it was until oh, yeah. <laughs> I joined. It's such a like a lifestyle. <laughs> Correct. Um, but I think that's a good thing, right? It's like everyone there is just trying to get fitter and healthier. And some people are there for different reasons or peacocking or doing whatever they want to do. And that, that's, that's fine. I mean, especially in New York, probably more than Vancouver, but, um, at the end of the day, everyone's just there to work out. And the cool thing about it is like, you know, trainers float the floor. So if, if you're like, you know, doing a set of squats and your form is off, they may, be, they may be like, Hey, like, can I give you some pointers? And you're allowed to say no, but like, you know, why not? Right. Versus at a normal gym, no one's going to critique you except like the weird guy in the tank top. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's been really good. And also for me, at least the, the fact that I'm paying more for it motivates me to go. Cause I'm like, I can't waste this. Like I have to go to the gym today. Otherwise I just basically lost $30 out of pocket for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, that's a good way to look at it too, right? Cost is a yeah. huge motivator. Same thing. If you're trying to start a new habit, like if you put money on the line with your friends, like there's a good chance you're not going to fuck up the habit. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Create consequences. Um, <laughs> so kind of going back to, you know, your adventure mindset and spending a lot of time outside. And obviously, you know, you have a pretty sizable following on social media comparatively to the average. Um, and your, your target audience is definitely seems like more like lifestyle, adventure, sports, travel. Um, do you, 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 do you shoot most of your own work too? Like, do you travel with a camera? Do you have a lot of friends or photographers? Like what is, how, how do you do it? It's been a mix of both. I'm, I kind of just got into photography in the past two years so I have a Canon M50 which is not like a, a super fancy camera by any means but it's way nicer than like an iPhone and I've gotten pretty into yeah shooting my own stuff and and at least editing any of the photos that people take of me while I'm on the road um but yeah it's a mix of stuff I've been trying to take more of my own photos um or I'll like stage a shot and set it up for a non-photographer friend and just have them like click the button and then I'll like run into the screen. Um, but I am lucky. I have a lot of like super talented uh, people in my life who are photographers um, and who are in the outdoor space and that I have gotten to travel with and, and shoot with, which has been super cool. 
That's awesome. It's actually, I was just realizing that like, that's how I originally discovered your account. Um, cause I was following your head friend Hayden, um, mm -hmm. for a long time and her work is incredible. Not just like the work she does as like a, an athlete, I guess you could say, but also like some of her film stuff is just stunning. Yeah. She's um, a super good photographer. And then I think you were, I, th I think, I think you were in her story a few times or like you posted with her and I was like, oh, this is, this is like someone else who's like cool and rat and adventurous and just like <laughs> sending it outside, which I always appreciate. Um, right. It's like, I want to fill my social media feed with people that inspire me to like do more of what I want to do, not like anything else. Right. Everyone uses it for different purposes, but that's what I use it for. Yeah. I've been trying to make that shift too. I went through people that I followed the other day and just unfollowed it's, it's crazy how we put ourselves in these situations, but I was truly following so many accounts that made me feel bad about myself. <laughs> and it, it yeah. was such a relief and a, and a release as well to just be like this, this media is not serving me or my well being anymore. And I'm just going to let it go. And I'm just going to focus on things that inspire me or make me want to do like take action. Absolutely. And, and I caught myself following people because they were in my past. And yeah. I had no interest in keeping them around. So I was like, okay, so like, why am I following them? Right? Like, what's, what's the point? Yeah. yeah, we put ourselves through so much unnecessary, yeah, discomfort on social media when we really don't have to. I think there's this weird understanding that like, we have to follow people that, you know, aren't really in our lives anymore, or aren't serving us and our happiness. And it's like, it's like weird that you almost have to like remind yourself that you don't have to do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't follow more than half my own like members of my family, like extended family, cousins, and other people like that. Because it's just like their their content, their their purpose on Instagram doesn't serve me. Like, I don't really want to see like memes all day or like photos of pointless things. You know, I want to see things that inspire me and push me forward. You know, because um, like one good photo from, you know what, you know whose work's been inspiring me a lot the past few years um, is an account. Uh, his name is Tim Kellner. Is Tim to the Wild? Um, he posts like once every two months, I feel like, but every time he posts, like, it's, it's something that's like pretty profound and makes me like really question my own process of creation. Um, I don't know if you have any accounts that you kind of look up to like that. Um, I have so many, I'm just looking at Tim Collins right now. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, Josiah Gordon is another photographer that mm -hmm. I'm super inspired by. At He's Josiah got... WG for people who I'll, I'll link it below as well, yeah. but, uh. He's just got some incredible photos there. Just always, it, it never feels like he's just churning out content. Like it's, it's just always like beautiful, thoughtful photography. It's, it's art really. It's really cool. Absolutely. But it's and always, I, yeah, epic. <laughs> yeah. And beyond that, like, you know, as, as I, as I mentioned before the, the episode before that just went live, uh, this will go live in like a week and a half, but uh, you know, Chris Burkhart is, is become a, a, a friend of mine and you know, his work is, is amazing. Um, and he's just done so much for not only like different cultures and the country of Iceland in general, but like, you know, his, his work is, is always blows my mind. And then Alex Stroll as well, right? He's someone who always pushes, um, pushes the envelope in my mind. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, as you mentioned, Paul Nicklin and then his wife, Christina Mittermeier, she's an incredible photographer too. Yeah, I was actually really lucky. Um, when I was working in New York City, I was had an office in Soho on West Broadway and uh, Grand. 
and they opened up a gallery right like literally 200 feet from the door of my office um so and they cool. and they were always and they were always in there because they were going to new york for like nat geo projects mm -hmm. or some book signing or some event you know so they, it was cool to like walk in the gallery and chat with christina about her work or like just you know shoot the shit with Paul about, you know, some almost dying because a polar bear tried to maul him, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it was, it was a, you know, that's what yeah. only happens in New York, but. Uh, I'm sure he's got some insane stories. Yeah. And what I really appreciate is that I think almost every weekend they would host some kind of an opening, a gallery show where they would give talks and they would always share different stories, which I think is really hard as someone who's like a storyteller to like have constant events and always be sharing something new. Right. Cause like I've met so many people where, you know, I think with this podcast, I've learned that there's some people that will tell the same stories every single time they hop on a podcast, like assuming that like no one ever listens to different podcasts, you know? Um, but so, so my goal is always to like, I want to ask the questions that people are afraid to ask or people won't ask. Right. Yeah. I love that. And it's also keeps it interesting for the people involved in actually making the content too. Yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> and spe speaking of secondary content, um, at least on your end, you have an account where you kind of post your doodles in your drawing. When did you get into drawing? Um, oh my gosh. It probably when I was like 16 or 17, like still in high school for sure. Um, and then it, it was, it's always been just like a total hobby. And then it, I started posting on that account and people were like, really nice about it which was fun um, and then it got picked up by a t-shirt company called Serengeti last year too um, and then turned in it suddenly became like much more of a thing um, but yeah it's, it's kind of always been like a part of my life I just have so many ridiculous random hobbies do you have any favorite of those hobbies like the one thing you would sell everything else for so to speak probably um, music interesting you want to you want to expand on that yeah, so I, I play the piano. Like I grew up, I have like a classical piano training um, and I play a little bit of guitar too, but that's like, I don't really share that that much online just because I don't know, it, it just feels like a little bit more private, but that's just something that's always been super important to me in my life and in terms of like self-expression and like challenging myself and growth. And I put a lot of friggin' hours into learning how to play the piano. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I feel like probably like the most proficient at that in terms of like all of the, the random things that I try and get myself to do and learn. Understood. Um, and I think mm -hmm. also like, you know, when you start talking to someone, you immediately click with them. Like, I think, you know, I first time I really talked to you is right before this podcast when we were kind of uh, doing a, a, a basically an intro. Um, mm -hmm. And like, as someone who also spent most of my youth, like, in a conservatory training as a musician, like, I feel like I, I always, you have this like gut feeling, like something, something is like, something melds with this person. Like, I'm not sure what it is yet, but then you're like, oh, they play instrument. Like, oh, that makes sense. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like a special type of discipline that you get when you're a kid, like, or however long it, when you start learning. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it shapes a person, I think. For sure. Absolutely. And I think that I'm a big believer, like anyone can learn how to play an instrument or, or sing. It's just a matter of training and time, just like a sport or just like fitness, just like any, any, anything else. Right. I think people are afraid of it because it is this daunting commitment of time. And, you know, everyone wants to be, be able to play, you know, Chopin or, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, the hardest segments of Rachmaninoff or some crazy things they see on YouTube or they see like, you know, someone in Pancreas Square playing the Intro to Interstellar on the piano. You're like, I want to do that. But people don't realize that like 
the amount of time and effort it takes to just get up to there, right, is yeah. is insane. And I've piano is the instrument I've always wanted to learn. Um, I'm personally myself a classically trained percussionist, and I don't I don't I don't talk it's about it ever. Um, and uh, it's it's one of those things people are like, oh, you 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 played you played an instrument? That's cool. And I'm like, yeah, it's like it was it was like six hours a day for most of my life from like fifth grade to you know college. People are like what? Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> so my dad always used to say ten thousand hours. Like absolutely. I would get, I used to get so frustrated with like it's a slow grind to learn to learn an instrument. And it's it's so fine, right? And my dad always used to say, check back in when you've put in 10,000 hours. <laughs> and you'll, <laughs> and, 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 yeah, now I'm sure like if you're having a stressful day, just sitting down at your piano, pulling out some sheet music, even if you haven't seen it before and just being able to play that or, you know, just lose yourself in that is at least for me, it was always such a nice escape. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've shifted into doing like also just, I think like with the understanding of all the theory behind it, just sitting down and just, in playing improv for like half an hour has been so healthy in terms of like processing emotions and I going back to when you asked me if I meditate and I was saying I find other ways to kind of find flow state but and that's my way that I do it is I just sit down and noodle around on the piano for like an hour I think that's the way to do it though right it's mm -hmm. it's, it's just giving yourself the creative expression and music theory also is like we could probably do a whole three-hour talk on music theory alone um <laughs> That's that's just absolutely fascinating. You know, for for me, I was just lucky because I I got into drums because, you know, it was pretty common in, in the school system. I grew up in Massachusetts, where like everyone kind of chose an instrument in fourth or fifth grade, and like you know, I it's 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 weird. So like, in my school system, you could choose a string instrument in fourth grade starting, but you couldn't choose a band instrument until fifth grade. And so like, I first like I want the cello because it was the biggest one, and I just I didn't I just I didn't care. Like I I just I enjoyed making some sounds, but I honestly like didn't. To me, I kind of believe that, like, if, if my mind is subconsciously just, like, fucking around while I'm trying to do something, then I probably shouldn't be doing that thing. Like, I should just stop putting effort towards that, you know? Uh, and then I got to switch, and they're like, oh, like, what do you want to switch to? And I was like, I like drums. Like, they're loud. They're big. They're, like, I was always, like, hyper ADHD, so it kind of fell in line with what I wanted. And then, you know, I had to do, obviously, like, the painful thing about drums is, like, you know, same thing with the piano. You start off with like you get you get two octaves that you get to, to like master, maybe three if you're lucky and you have a good teacher, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then on the drums, it's like you have to master the snare drum before you can touch the drum set, right? And so you have like you're stuck on this one drum and you're mastering and you're practicing your your techniques and your rhythms and syncopation and your ability to keep beat and how to hold the drum set and uh, drumstick and how to how to move around quickly. And then eventually you add in like these eighteen other things. And you're like, your feet are doing different things, your hands are doing different things, just like on piano, right? And it's it's fun. And then eventually when you get there and you reach that 10,000 hours where you can like sight read music or my favorite is like, I can listen to a song. I'm sure you get this too. Like if you were to play a music, like someone to play you a song on the piano, you could you could not nail it, but you'd do a pretty good rendition of it just by hearing it, right? Yeah, that's definitely been like a party trick of mine. It's super satisfying. <laughs> yes. And the same thing with me on drums is like, the nice thing about drums too is because it's always rhythm based and not melody based. Like I could have someone play an original song and me start playing with them and it wouldn't be perfect, but it would still gel. You know, that's, that's the best part about okay. just rhythm based instruments. It's like, okay, well, uh, we'll, we'll do it. Um, so that's actually ironic because one of the questions I was going to ask you uh, later on was about music and instrumentation um because a lot of the people I, I i talk to on this podcast that um are highly creative individuals especially ones that appreciate you know like the deeper virtues of life are usually musicians or play an instrument I just never talk about it 
Yeah, that's, that's very true. Actually. Good um, so what are your what are your major goals in life moving forward? Do you have any explicit goals? Do you have any desires? Do you have any like things that you really want to accomplish? Like what's what's next for you? Um, I have. Yeah, I, I feel like I kind of have like these two diverging sets of goals right now, which are traveling. And I have like a lot of outdoor like based like trips and adventures and certifications that I want to do. Um, and then I also have like adulting goals. Like I, I want to go back to school and get my master's degree. Um, and like have, I have like financial goals and things like that, but in terms of like, just kind of like the high level things, I, I want to be in a place in like the next five to 10 years where I've done like a lot of these adventure outdoor things. Like I really want to go to Iceland. Um, I want to hike the Annapurna circuit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to I get my like crevasse training and do more backcountry ski touring and avalanche training. Um, I think those are like probably like the main goals that I have in terms of like work. I, I'm really loving my work, but I also do want to go back to school. So that's going to be like finding a, a balance of that and how I can make both of those things happen at the same time. And do you want to go back to school for what you're doing now or something else? Um, I think probably psychology. So I have my undergrad degrees. I have a Bachelor of Science in Psychology. Um, and that's always been something that I've been super interested in. I've toyed with going back to school. I actually started a master's program last year and then deferred it to travel. <laughs> um, Perfect. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, it just wasn't the right time because I wasn't ready to like, sit down and put my head down with the amount of effort that a master's program required to do. But yeah, I think, I think I'll go back and do my master's in psych and work in consulting in a, in a, I think the similar field that I'm in now, but with kind of a more science-based psychological lens, I think would be super interesting. And would you ever want to go do clinical stuff and maybe get the required, you know, doctoral level degrees to do that? Or is that maybe farther down the horizon? Yeah, I would. I I have been looking at that. It's a long haul, like to get totally. your PhD in clinical psych. It would be like eight years. Um, but I have been looking at counseling psychology, which is just a two-year program, um, and then from there you can do your PhD, kind of like while you're working. So I think that's probably the path that I'm looking at the hardest right now. Absolutely, and I think one thing I've realized is some of the most people that have had the most profound impact on the way I think or my mind or helping me through things aren't aren't like psychologists, like clinically trained psychologists at all, you know? So I think that, you know, you can still provide a lot of value to people without having, you know, the paper, so to speak. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting shift in the field and that clinical psychologists, I think they're often working with folks who have kind of more severe or more difficult, you know, mental experiences or, or disabilities. And um, I think clinic like counseling is, is often more to the general public facing it's more like vocational and and exactly. conversation based and that's what i'm super interested in that's kind of what what i do yeah now anyways that's what i jive with for sure the most that's great yeah and i think most people don't realize that kind of you know defining redefining a point you just said which is that you know the clinical psychology it's most of the people that that need that level of psych evaluation and assistance are are already dealing with some insane levels of trauma or anxiety or depression or all three or beyond that yeah. so like they you know what would work for the average person would not work for them and 
unfortunately, in some of these scenarios, like the work you're doing is literally life-saving. So, you know, that, that level of experience is probably needed. Yeah. So well, that's great. Um, any, any other goals in terms of like your personal, like personal growth, like, um, maybe like mental or physical, um, you know, kind of taking away the external things. Yeah, that's a really good question too. Um, yeah, I, I think that like right now I'm, I'm really focusing on mental health. I have definitely been dealing with like a lot of anxiety, basically my whole adult life. And that's just something that I'm trying to find balance with just in my own head. And I think that that's going to be not necessarily a goal that I can measurably achieve at, or set an end date for, but something that I want to continuously work on is just kind of my overall well-being and how safe and comfortable I feel in my own body and mind. Um, but for me personally, I think looking at it as more of a, an ongoing journey of like growth and change and and shifting how I'm, how I'm showing up in the world and for myself, rather than like, I'm going to be this by this time has been like healthier for me. But that's something that like, Absolutely. I'm focusing on now. And I know, like, I guess the goal is to continue to focus on that and prioritize mindset and personal growth and health in that sense. Totally. And as, as someone who's dealt with crippling anxiety from a host of real and non-real issues, as I'm sure you're aware, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, not to get back on the meditation bandwagon, but like nothing else has done anything for me more than that. Um, and I ref I'm someone who like, I will, I will push off taking drugs until the last possible unviable moment. Um, and I've avoided SSRIs like, like the plague, um, just because of so many people I know that have had very bad side effects from them. Yeah. Um, but you know, my, my challenge to you would be like, I mean, if you, if you want a challenge, like. The, the best challenge is for the next hundred days, right? Like spend an hour a day where you set a timer for an hour on your phone. You find a comfy place to sit and whatever comes in your head comes in your head. And like, you're going to cry many times and you're going to feel lots of and lots and lots of feelings. But like, it's this very like cathartic, beautiful process of like self-discovery and learning, which is like, I think everyone needs to go through at one point before they can become enlightened in themselves. And like most of my anxiety is just melted away. And if it comes back immediately, I'm like, huh. That was something I used to, you know, that one thought I would have spent a week yeah. thinking about oh, and oh. festering on. And now it's just like, oh, that's, that's nice. Great. What's for dinner? You know, <laughs> um, which is beautiful. I love that challenge. Yeah. I think you've sold me on the, on the meditation or trying it at least. I think I have to, yeah, give it another shot. But I think, you know, I'm going to back up on what Naval said, like you need to do, be doing it for a long duration, like 10, 15 minutes is going to cut it starting off. Like it's an hour. And yeah. once eventually, like I go down to about, like, I like the number 42 a lot. So I do 42 minutes after I wake up and that's just like my number and I'm weird and whatever. That's my system. Um, is that, but, is that because um, the answer in what's that book? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Yeah. Isn't that the answer to life? Um, that's, that's part of it. That was original inspiration, right? Um, it's kind of like a joke, but I also found it's like a very ideal, um, like duration of time. Um, there are a couple little things in there. So like I try to schedule things in 45 minutes, especially meetings and stuff like that. And so if I wanted to ever do it in between meetings, I would have enough time to like meditate, then have that three minutes, to like recollect my thoughts and hop on a zoom or hop on a call or do whatever I needed to do. That was the second part of it. Um, 
And then the third part of it is like, I'm really big into numerology, not in like a woo woo gaga horoscope kind of way, but like more in like, I don't like uh, angel numbers. Like, yes, I, I subscribe to it. But like, to me, I, I've, you know, I have a degree in engineering and I've always liked math a lot. I like, I like the way numbers work. Right. And so, yeah. you know, I just like the. I mean, this actually is something I've never told publicly. So look at you getting stuff out of me. But um, so if you were to, uh, I was born at 1611. Um, so 411 PM for people that use that outdated time system. Um, sorry, that was a lot of shade. Um, so I was born in 527 at 1611. Um, and for the time I was born in time has always been really important and big to me. If you add those two numbers, you get 27, you subtract them, you get five. Um, and so like my, I view that as kind of like a circular thing of like the day I was born and the time I was born being this like circular kind of like point. Mm -hmm. Um, so 27 has been a really important number to me. Um, and then in 2015, um, like the year 15, essentially, I, uh, it was probably the worst year of anxiety I've ever had. Um, I was dealing, I stopped racing cause I was dealing with some heart issues and I'm getting surgery for. And like, so my anxiety was all based on something that was real, but it was still blown out of proportions. It was exaggerated. Right. So like my anxiety was borderline. Like I almost left school. It was that bad. Um, but, uh, so at towards the culmination of that year, when I was like at a really low point in my life, I made this set of 15 principles that I would like basically tell myself if I, if I, if I hold myself to this standard, um, of self self growth and worth and belief, then everything will be okay. And so like, I view the number 27 as like me, that's who I am. And I view number 15 is like, that's, that's, that's my ethos. That's what I believe, right? My ethos, pathos, logos, my, my identity system. Uh, and those two together are 42 and 40 is also just a fun number. So that's, that's that full story. That's um, super cool. Um, but we all have, you know, we're all, we're all crazy in our own ways, right? We're all, we all have these own little systems. And I think that's what I tell people is like, no one else's system will work for you. Like give yourself the power and the ability to find your own system, find your own groove. And you will eventually, it just takes time. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you do, it feels really good. It's like, this is my system. I built it. I've tested it. I've tried it. I'm open to iterate it. Um, and I'm always willing to change my opinion based on information. Right. Um, and that's what, that's how we should all think in my mind, but I'm maybe biased, but. No, I think that's a really unique, it's a unique perspective and I, it's kind of refreshing. Absolutely. I, well, I appreciate that. So, um, Annie <laughs> McIntosh, you were next hundred days. You can start whenever you want. Um, but hundred days, um, an hour a day, uh, make it social on, on your Instagram if you want. One thing I do appreciate that you do is that you sometimes, uh, have people share their like highlights of the day or the, the week. And I think that's, that's something that's not really done that often. And I think it, it does a lot for people that are just like, want to see some positivity or even some negativity, right? Like just, just see that, you know, we tend to forget that there are, you know, what's that idea of Sonder? It's like every single person in this world mm -hmm. has their own life and experiences and beliefs and systems. And like, we always forget that, like, we treat people as numbers and followers and likes, and they're really just all individually their own universes. Right. So. Yeah. I, I think that that's something that I've been trying really hard to focus on with social media is reminding myself that it's truly like, it's a community. It's not just a set of numbers. There are real people there. And like, I'm a real person and the people that I follow and interact with online are real people. And we should take advantage of that. And it, it sounds so odd, but it, like there really is a lot of room for connection. I think that goes unused online. 
Absolutely. And I think a lot of people do use social media the wrong way or not the wrong way, but mm -hmm. like in a nefarious kind of profiteering type way versus, you know, totally. alt altruistic. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of like emptiness I find mm. on, on social media. And not the good emptiness. Like when I, in meditation, you're seeking like this void, this, this, lack <laughs> of this, this space. But I think the other, it's the other way around. It's like hollow, which is yeah, the worst that's, kind. That's like the word, like hollow interactions. Like just not a lot of meaning or intention put behind it. So since we're or talking the, intention the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, sorry for interrupting you. Um, but since we're talking about human emotion, um, what are your personal feelings on love? Um, what do you mean? Like, do I believe in love? Do I think it's important? You can take the yes. question any way you want. <laughs> you just answer yes, you know, you can move on. But for me, it's like, I, I think that love is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. And I've asked this question to a few people um, that are married, that are not, that are younger, mm -hmm. that are older, um, especially on this podcast, because I, I, I like to kind of probe people in a way that makes them almost rethink their own kind of beliefs. And I think love is something that a lot of us like, oh, I love you. Like, this is great. But no one really like thinks about it and like pushes pushes it if that makes any sense yeah totally I mean I I'm I'm a sucker for love like I think that there's many different types and iterations of love in our lives and in this world like I have many people in my life that I love deeply like my family I I'm feel so connected to them and I'm, I'm so grateful for that relationship and I would do anything for them and same with my friends I have so many friends that I just really love and it's it's I think the best part about being a human is the, our, our capacity to love and care for each other and have those hum, like those experiences are just fundamentally what makes us humans and what brings us together and they're really important and I don't think it can ever be underestimated I I probably say I love you to people in my life like three times a day <laughs> That's amazing. Um, but and then romantic love too like that's a whole it's a whole other ball game and it can be painful and terrifying and I think with with any sort of love and relationship that you have in your life it comes with vulnerability and being honest with yourself and other people and that can be really scary um but I also think that it is yeah like I said just fundamental to our experiences as human and if we deprive ourselves of that or don't want to face the fact that we can love or be in love or have loved um, you really miss out. Absolutely. I don't think I could have said any better myself. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously it's, it's, I think people need to realize that love is a paradox, right? There's no one answer. Um, yeah. you know, like the, the answers to all the best questions are paradoxes. They're more questions, right? Like what is the meaning of life? What is love? You know, like yeah. what is my purpose? Right. If there was one set answer, then we'd have to achieve that or we'd have to attain that and where we want to, or we strive to, and that would just, basically destroy humanity so i think it's a good thing that <laughs> we all we all kind of question it right yeah and i think like yeah especially in relationships like people are, are really afraid of falling in love because often it means like until you get it right it means that you're going to be really hurt right um and there's yeah. like there's fear in that and it's so valid like most people or many people like the grief of losing a relationship is is a, it's a trauma. It's like real grief, right? It's really yeah, hard. It can to be through. immense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it also shows that the experience that you had with that person was 
just as real and immense, right? And that's, I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, what we say earlier, right? Growth is painful. Growth hurts. So totally. Yeah. You're not going to get, you're not, you're not going to get to where you want to go and be. And also like, I wouldn't be able to have successful relationships now in a romantic capacity if I wasn't, you know, hadn't been hurt, you know, a couple of times before. Right. You, you, that's when you learn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sadly. Totally. Um, it's, it's true though. And I think it's like a shared human experience. It's like, if you've had your heart broken before, you kind of, you kind of get it. Like when somebody, Absolutely. Yeah. That too, it's kind of like, Oh no, I get it. Like that's, that is hard. <laughs> yeah. You, you have empathy immediately for someone that's going through that, right? Exactly. But so, so someone who's never been cheated on or gone through a shitty breakup or been ghosted in like a really bad way. And like people say that they're like, oh, that sucks. But like, if you've been through that, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, I know exactly what that yeah. feels like. <laughs> Sounds like a right passage, I think, into like, yeah, just, just understanding the inner workings of the human heart and how people are feeling is getting your heart broken. Absolutely. And it goes back to my strongly held beliefs. And I, I have, I have a f lot of friends who are devoutly religious um, people mm -hmm. that, you know, believe in saving themselves to marriage and, you know, finding the one and stuff like that. And, and I, I don't want to put them down, but I often say like through my own experiences of like love and loss and relationship, like I, I just, I just never think the first person that you are in a relationship with will ever truly be as successful as it could be. And that might be like my own experience and everyone else and just me just indicating and syndic like syndicating everything else I've ever experienced through like my parents and my friends, but like, I've never seen it actually be truly successful. I think it's because we have to learn, we have to make mistakes. And so I'm always kind of pushed against this idea of like, you have this one person that only exists in this one place in time. Cause like we, we evolve, we grow as people. Like maybe the person you fall in love with and have kids with is not the person you end up spending the rest of your life with because like people change, right? It doesn't mean you always change together. Yeah, that's super true. I think like f for me, what I would hope with is if, if it is your first relationship and it does feel like it's working, like that would be wonderful. But the, the caveat is that is that you do you are you have to accept that both people will change mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to challenge each other and grow with one another through those changes and if that love persists then that's amazing i do think it's rare very rare especially in modern day yeah especially with dating apps and other fun you know yeah. ways to connect with people instagram alone right and and i think that's i think it's important you hit, you hit on a point like i'm not knocking anyone if they have it but also like you know, something I've heard from a lot of people that have, you know, held together relationships that are barely holding on for too long. You know, we all have a friend that's in that relationship they shouldn't be in anymore, right? Um, and they yeah. met in, like, high school. And they're just like, yeah, it's time for you both to, like, you doesn't mean you won't get married in the future. But, like, it, it like you both have to go experience other things, right? Um, and it's kind of it's kind of unfortunate that people don't push that more because they always like oh it's just a lot of compromise and stress. I'm like look if if, if there is always going to be someone out there that you can live a fully compatible life with that allow you to be a hundred percent yourself without true compromise, right? Like agreeing and taking time for the other and having different ideas and and sharing the load so to speak. That's that's one thing. But like if you're compromising the things, the life you want to live, the places you want to go, the people you want to be with, uh, the 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 place you want to live because of you know a relationship that's not relationship that's just comfort right yeah and that's like super hard to get out of yeah <laughs> as someone who's been <laughs> stuck in there before <laughs> it sounds like you have as well so <laughs> but yeah it's 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 important to in, in whatever relationship you are in or relationships 
I think to just make sure that you're still being true to yourself and your values. Perfect. Um, is there something you believe in that most don't? Hmm. I don't believe in like soulmates or like the one. And I hmm. feel like a lot of people around me do. So that's something that I'm like, I feel like I'm more like I don't believe in things. More than I do believe in things. That's perfect, you know. Yeah, I'm more like. I it sounds bad, but I'm I'm a skeptic. Like I, I, I want there to be all these like, amazing things and like, power and I don't know. I I wish that I was more religious and I wish that I believed in soulmates and I wish that. I understood horoscopes better, but I'm just like, no, <laughs> I don't know. And I think it's, it's more just like keeping for me, I, I believe in like just keeping an open mind and being skeptical, which sounds negative, but I think it's important to me to like view the world in a more holistic, open-minded way. Absolutely. And yeah, I think, I think the soulmate argument is like the heaven argument. And I don't know if, you know, you're religious or not, but like it gives people this, this almost unattainable goalpost that they feel like they have to find, which obviously adds undue stress and pressure part one, but pressure part, part one, but part two, it just like, it almost gives people a false sense of hope that like finding that one person or the people that you could be compatible with is hard work. Like you might be lucky and it might fall into your lap, but like there's also the other option, especially with modern day, like dating apps and dating services and just social interaction and travel. Like mm -hmm. you can find these people if you're looking for them. But like this idea that you're just waiting for the one is, is honestly in my mind is like an excuse people have when they like don't want to, you know, keep, keep that search. Right. Um, yeah. Or and then once you're in the relationship that it's just going to be like smooth sailing because totally. you've met the one. And I think that it, it undermines the reality that relationships take a lot of work and effort. And it's like a constant mindful thing that you have to be in and, and continue to put time in. Yeah. And I think, I think modern society indexes the commitment and exclusivity of a relationship more than the actual relationship of like building that connection with someone itself. It's like, when people are like, Oh, I'm in a relationship. It's not, it's not like, oh, I built this amazing connection with someone else and the person and I together are, are better than we could each be individually. It's more like, oh, no, we're mm -hmm. exclusive and we're not seeing anyone else or talking to anyone else. And that's like the wrong idea in my mind. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. The label seems to be more important than the actual experience of it, which Should is it, yeah. incorrect. It's kind of sad. Not kind of sad. I think very sad. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I'm going to – so. Let's think about this. Um, do you, so like, just to kind of go back on travel for a little bit and then I'll get you out yeah. here on some like last, uh, you know, rapid fire questions. Do you, do you, is there like a place you traveled recently that really just blew your pants off? You know, that just really like, like blew your mind that really excited you um, that you didn't expect it to? Yeah, I went to Kenya this summer mm. um, with a really cool group of people and it was just, it was like a, a total culture shock, but just, yeah, it was just, a, it was just an amazing place. And the, the part that like really particularly blew my pants off was we went to the Maasai Mara and mm -hmm. did a safari there in a really cool, um, eco camp called Embu camp. 
Um, and they're focused right now on like all sustainable practices in the Masai Mara. So they've got like electric vehicles. Um, they're running like farm to table That's food awesome. dining. They're like giving back to the local communities. So they're working with like, yeah, like locals and like all of their, all of their facilities basically are green and give back to the community. And it was just a really, it was just an eye-opening experience, like being in, in that environment and seeing like all of the passion that these people have, like people are having from all around the world. And it was kind of like a shared passion and that was really exciting. Um, but then also the fact that we were like in Africa on a safari, seeing these incredible wild animals. Um, it was just like the biggest shock to the system and it's so beautiful to be able to see something as wild and unique as that. Um, so yeah, Kenya blew my pants off for sure. <laughs> Did you end up getting to go to like Tanzania or any of the other neighboring countries or? No. So I have to go back. Yes. <laughs> we went to South Africa um, and then mm -hmm. Kenya and, and we were lucky to like explore around like both of those countries quite a bit, but um, yeah, I really want to go to Tanzania now. Yeah. So amazing. I I, I, yeah, I actually did that last year um, for my birthday. Uh, I, I, I hiked Kilimanjaro. Um, so we need a guide. I have I have a guy that's pretty awesome. Um, uh, Wenyi, if you're listening to this, um, they <laughs> I I just I I loved it because it was just I went the end of May, so it's still like kind of COVID. Like people were still right. really freaked out about it, but I was just like I you know I've, I have pretty public opinions on this like about you know, my own health and well-being, and we're not going to get into it now. But so I ended up going to the end of May and I was the only one in my expedition. So it was like me and a guide oh and the chef and a few other porters. Um, and they just, they just like, oh, we already paid them. So they're like, they can just come along and hang out. So it's just like me hanging out with a bunch of Tanzanians up in the mountains. And uh, we were supposed to do it in seven days. Uh, we ended up doing it like three and a half because we were just bored. Oh my gosh. Um, and I, I just, I was just feeling really fit. Right. Like I just, I just, you yeah. know, I'm, I, I always like being that person. that will never be like the, the person that wants to take their shirt off at the beach and be like, Oh, this is, this is my body's and it's sick, but I'd rather like be the person that could like run up Kilimanjaro, you know, like that's what I care much more about in terms of fitness. Right. Yeah. That's a solid um, <laughs> and so, and so no, it was honestly a lot of fun. And like, I, I realized with him, I, you know, we've talked, been talking about this, like it's possible to do it in two days, um, up and down. And that's amazing. Yeah. And we, we've been, we've been talking about it sometime either. It's probably not be this summer and it might be this fall or it might be sometime early next spring. Um, I plan on doing it with him again and a few other, my friends that are, you know, also hardcore outdoor fit people, I guess you could say, and just mm -hmm. push it, just fucking send it. Um, not to do it because we want to do it in like, two days not not because we want to brag about it or flex on it just because it's like it i love the physical challenge like if i'm if i'm gonna go do like an ironman or a marathon like i'm not doing it so i can put the medal around my neck for like the two weeks afterwards and i'm walking around cafes in a city that it was in like that's that's tired but like i i do it for myself like oh can i do this like is it is it possible to do this you know is i love that 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 type two level fun where you're just like at full exertion yeah. and you're just just so happy <laughs> at least for me um, type two fun is um it's a powerful thing how did you find the elevation isn't it like is it twenty thousand feet um it, it caps out just below uh 20 it's like 19541 i believe is the number okay. i mean it's like 19390 it's it's somewhere in like mid 19 
19,000 feet, but it's still enough to fuck with you, right? <laughs> so I think that's the people's like, oh, it's not, it's not in the Himalayas or it's not Aconcagua. It's not, um, but yeah, so I, I, I'm just a person that normally drinks a lot of water. Um, and so that helps a lot with elevation, obviously. Um, and I also took, um, Diamox, which is like a, a medication that's meant for altitude sickness. And it's best if you take it not as a, a relief, but as a, almost like a, you know, the people that have a, I don't know what to call it, but um, if someone's at like at risk for a heart attack, they'll take a baby aspirin every day as like a yeah. a mitigating thing. It's the same thing with Diamox. So they actually recommend you start taking it about a week ahead of time. Um, and it, there's, I had no side effects, so I didn't even feel it. Um, That's amazing. Um, and I think most people don't have any side effects either. But like it just, it basically just changes the process and the speed at which your body absorbs and releases oxygen from from the blood. Um, slows it down. So at elevation, it helps you retain more oxygen in your blood, essentially is all it does, um, which is very useful. Um, but all good guides will take you on a, basically a trajectory up and around the mountain where you'll constantly be spending time. So like, I remember it was just the third day of hiking where we started off at 10,000 feet, we got up to 16 and then we dropped back down and slept at 12. So like this idea of like, we want to spend some time right. up there in an hour and I'm the crazy mountain boy. So like, I was just like sitting on a rock meditating for like an hour. And he's like, you can, you can wait, you can do it. I was like, I'm just going to go up on that rock and meditate and just like sit up and watch like the weather come in on this mountain. Right. Um, Cause it's beautiful up there. And, and, and there are so many ecological zones where these plants and fauna and animals only exist at that elevation. And Kilimanjaro, like nowhere else in the world, these places exist. Um, that is very cool. Wild. Yeah. Um, and having a guide that is knowledgeable and makes you feel safe, um, but is also fit is good. Um, my guy got mad at me cause I actually beat him down to the bottom on the last day. Um, and I was constantly like hanging out with the, and like having full conversations with all the porters throughout the, 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 the trip. And also like for me, it was in the mid fifties most of the time, like low sixties. So to me, that's like pretty warm cause I grew up in the cold, um, so like I would just be in the in the camp walking around like wearing basically no clothing, um, and they always thought I was crazy because they were wearing like their down suits and and like fifty two yeah, degree weather, <laughs> yeah. And so they gave me this nickname in Swahili, Kakak Cha. Uh, I haven't told this publicly, um, but Kakak Cha, which is uh, translates literally into brother crazy. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, yeah. I look. I, I have fond memories of that trip. I have fond memories of going back there. Um, the sucky thing, the only thing that really sucked is like the the COVID testing shit show I had to go through to get back to Europe. Um, KLM required uh, like a, a negative PCR test within three days, and like you're in rural Tanzania, like you know, how fucking hard it is to get a PCR test. So like I had yeah. to pay off a doctor to have someone else privately drive it to the city to get my test in time. Uh, all to just realize that like the system is designed so that if you don't, if they don't, if the test specimen doesn't make it to the lab on time, which is like a 90% chance, they just automatically give you a negative result like eight hours before the three day deadline. Um, so it's like, and, and the sad thing is because of that, like I limited my, I was supposed to go on a safari, I was supposed to go explore. I just didn't do that because I was worried about just getting back home because I had other things I had to do. Right. So yeah. I'd like to go. I'd like to go back there and not experience the the COVID shit show. But um, yeah, I'll be actually. Um, you said South Africa. Where in South Africa did you guys go? Uh, we were in Durban and then Cape Town, and then we also went um, to the West Coast and did some diving there too. That's great. Um, yeah, so it's a beautiful part of the world. 
Yeah, Cape Town's a happy place for me. Um, I spent a month there last year until Omicron was discovered and had to run home. Um, and then I'm actually yeah. heading back there in two weeks. So um, nice. Cape Town's always been that place that I highly recommend to people. And I don't know if you want to confirm this for me, but like to me, it's just like a way better L.A. Like it's it's the beaches are nicer. The people are nice. The food is great. The wine's great. It's like very cheap. Um, it's just very far away. <laughs> so it's super far away but yeah that like that downtown cape town walkway i it looks like la like the one right on the beach mm -hmm. yep that's that was like my very first thought um about cape town but we were there when i was there it was like full covid as well and they actually had a liquor ban so like you couldn't buy alcohol when we were in cape oh yeah town. so, so you there pretty <laughs> early last year then yeah we were there in i'm trying to think july late Got july it. yeah yeah so when I got there and it was like November, most of November and part of December, um, there before like everything shut down again, mm -hmm. uh, the South African wine is just insane. Like I, it's one of the biggest, like as someone who's like, you know, grew up with a French family and drank a lot of wine and like, do care about wine? Like their wine is so good. And just because of the conversion rate between us dollar and South African Rand and like the fact they don't know how to price it and they can't really ship it internationally. Like you're getting these, what would cost you 10 times more in the U S or Canada is just like, you know, these ridiculous nice bottles of wine for like $11, $8. Yeah. That's yeah it's, it's I was really surprised to see vineyards there. Actually, I had no idea that they made wine there, but yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one thing. It's like every, every time I go to a new place, I'm just amazed by what's there and, and what's offering. And you, like, I want to be surprised, like, like, please surprise me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, totally. You did, you did, um, uh, lion's head, I'm guessing. You know what? I actually didn't, which is so Wild. dumb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's why I said I have to go back. When it's, it's not COVID. Yeah. Honestly, I love that. I don't try to explain to people, like I, I give a comparison to Santa Barbara where like there's these massive mountains that kind of rise out near the ocean. But like, if you're on Gibraltar road in Santa Barbara, you're still like a solid six or eight miles away from the water versus like in Cape town, like. You can go from zero to 4,000 feet within like a mile and a half of like, yeah. like linear distance or I guess three kilometers or so um, in uh, the you know, Queens Canadian. Um, but um, is there any place that you have an, an upcoming trip that you're really excited about? The other end of that? Um, I, I'm hoping to get to Iceland this summer, which has been on my bucket list forever. So I'm super excited about that. Um, and then this is close to home, but just a sailing trip kind of in Northern British Columbia um, with my family and my sister, I think also kind of the spring is coming up. So I'm excited for that. Just to like the BC coast is really cool in that there's all of these little nooks where you can only explore by boat. Like they're just totally undiscovered. There's no roads there. Um, so yeah, excited to get back up there. That sounds amazing. Have you ever considered doing more video? I feel like your personality combined with like the lifestyle you live would be like very, like you could have a very successful vlog. It might sound like unattractive to you, but like, I just feel like that, that could be something that's just like really enjoyable for you maybe. And also like, I think you'd grow an audience rapidly. Like on YouTube kind of thing? Yeah. Or, or TikTok or, or, you know, Instagram, you know, you can make it like short real, you know, style, or you could make it longer form. Like, you know, what is popularized by like Casey Neistat, you know? Um, I don't know. I just, I just, I just feel like the life you live is very akin, like good for that. Videoable. 
Yeah, I've thought about it. I'm just like, I'm super uncomfortable with putting myself out there. I've been like really working hard at it. Um, and video just seems like that next step where you have to like be so on top of it and be comfortable with like, it's just, it's still like a mental hurdle for me, um, which is interesting because I know I don't come across as that when I like speak to people or do things like this or on my Instagram at all, but it's, it's totally like a mental block that I have with like showing up on video and like speaking to the camera and things like that. Yeah, it's it's a fear I had to get over too because I for a while was vlogging um, and was inspired <laughs> by like the Casey Neistat's of the world. Um, but I think it's the same thing with that. Like if you, if I I I'm a big believer in like if you're afraid of it, that means you should do it, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Because um, like, what's the worst thing you lose? Like you already have a sizable enough following where I think like you know it receive well. The, basically, the nice thing about it is like if you're just being honest and you're mm -hmm. being genuine, then it doesn't really matter what else you're talking about or what else you're doing on there. Because, like, people – there's so many people online that are just so fake or, like, you know, these influencers that they like to believe there's something else. They're really just, like, they, you know, will post 30-minute bikini hauls on YouTube. And, you know, that is value to some people, but to generally the most of the world, not really. Um, and I just <laughs> yes. think that so many people have so many interesting things to say. Like, I'd rather them spend that time doing that. And, like, you'll always find that niche audience. And, like, it's, it's really hard for people to, like – call you out if you're just being honest right yeah and I think that this is becoming a bit more of a shift on social media and that people more and more are finding value and authenticity online I think people are getting really sick of people just showing up and like trying to make a buck or you know they're clearly not being who they actually are yeah which is easy to do I like I, I get that it's hard to show up and be authentic online because you're putting yourself out there and the internet is a place with a lot of scrutiny and, and me and people. Um, Absolutely. But I've, I've certainly found that there is so much power in just showing up and being authentic and who you are. And if you're just kind of like shrug your shoulders, this is who I am, like take it or leave it. People are so much more receptive to that and they're way kinder. Like I've, I've yet to experience a truly like unkind comment or person online from what yeah. I've put out there. They're there. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you're lucky that. So I guess, <laughs> I guess my question to you for someone who who works in social media um, and and in that kind of community driven process, like the money is really changing from what I've seen in terms of you know it used to be you know these companies used to be fine with paying you know a thousand like like a revolve paying like a thousand different influencer girls that are just posting um, you know like. Like, I love this fit. It's great. I picked it out. And then like four lines later, it's like, thank you, Revolve, for the outfit. It's like, did you really like the outfit? Yeah. Like, is, is this really something you care about? Like, are we just, you know, pushing more fast fashion back into, you know, creating microplastics in our water supply and it'll end up in a landfill in six months? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, what are, what are we yeah. doing? Um, and but I think I think I've seen a lot of shift towards money going to storytellers over influencers. Right. Which I think are different personally. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's like, it's that shift in the term, which is, this is so like niche to the industry, but the shift from influencer to content creator. Mm. Um, and I and, hate that term. <laughs> yeah, I hate both of those terms. I'm like, I'm not just, we're not just like churning out content, but I, I love the idea of storytellers and artists. And I yep. think that all goes back to the authenticity is that A, there's a lot more opportunity for influencers to pick and choose brands that are doing good in the world. And I think there's hopefully more of a push from like your audiences for people to 
be mindful about what they're putting out there. People don't want to be just like sold to, to make a buck. They, they want to connect with the person online authentically. And, and if, if they're going to buy something, it's because they see that it aligns with the person's platform and their values in a real way. And storytelling is, I think like the best medium and tool to do that and get your message across. Agreed. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and, and that's <laughs> yeah. what I, t I tell people, like, I think there's a, a, a big belief now that like, oh, it's too late to start a successful channel on YouTube. Oh, it's too late to start a successful Instagram channel pushing out what you want to push. And I, I, I don't ever TikTok. Like I could not disagree more at this point. Like I think this isn't going away and there's always be more people that are into new things. And if you can provide value, then you'll be rewarded. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I have like a, my friend Michelle who's like pretty big on Instagram. She was like, there's enough of an audience for everyone. Like they, people aren't going away. This, this space is big enough for everyone to show up in. And if you have something that you're interested in, there are literally billions of people in the world. Other people are going to be interested in it too. And are going to want to share that with you and find community in that. Yeah. And think about the fact that most of the world, the majority, strong majority isn't even online yet. It doesn't even have access to social media or like the resources mm -hmm. to use internet that often. Right. But that's going to change 10 years from now. Like it's probably going to double or triple. Right. So, you know, there's so many more continents literally coming online, especially Africa, India, the rural parts of China, Central Asia, uh, you know, parts of Oshana that are just, you know, haven't had this and they all have their own stories to tell and their own, you know, uh, influence to give, right? Um, Absolutely, yeah. And I think with the birth and the rise of like Web 3.0 and the metaverse and people, you know, interacting with the internet more and in, in mm -hmm. a more like ownership focused way with Agreed. NFTs and, and artists being able to monetize that and take ownership of the work that they put out there. It's really going to shift it even more in ways that we're, we can't even imagine in the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Yeah. The, the, the power is going to shift from the business and finance people to the designers, engineers, entrepreneurs, creators, right? Like that's, that's, that's where the, yeah. that's where the power is shifting right now. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I, I'm just going to say it right now, like you're not a designer and a creative. If you like scam a bunch of your followers out of like off an NFT of your, you know, a picture of you, like <laughs> I'll say it now, I've seen it happen every single day for the past year. Um, like, so I think that that industry does, does, is definitely in a bubble right now, but um, I think it will, it will settle in kind of self uh, level, so to speak. Um, and yeah. I think the outside is better, but like so many people are trying to make a quick buck off NFTs right now. And I just tell everyone to kind of like, unless, you, unless it's something that you feel strongly about as future potential, like there are so many influencers recently who've come under fire for like making quote unquote NFTs that are really just limited fungible tokens, which is literally what it is. Right. But um, yeah that have literally no value beyond the fact that they have a following and people want them, which is fine. But also like, you know, what's the value? <laughs> what's qui bono? Who benefits from this? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually working my big project right now that I'm working on with my company creator co is an NFT drop for our community, but we've been really focused on not doing that, which I, I think is like what other people are going to have to start doing if they show up in the space. And it's, it becomes more of a passport or a ticket. Um, that gets you access to like utility, right? Like it's not just mm -hmm. yeah. this little image that you have. It's, it's a ticket. So like for what we're selling, you, you get access to meetups and events in Vegas and we send you merch and you get prizes every month. And it's like, absolutely. It's like paying, yeah. Paying club membership versus, um, yeah, I, I'm, I want to be a little bit closer to this person 
that I feel connected to online and they're taking advantage of me, you know? Totally. Yeah. And I, I think you nailed know, on the head, right? It's this, it's a vestige of stored value with potential future opportunity and access for all individuals, not just the one person that's, you know, making, you know, hundreds of Ethereum off of a single transaction. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and as the web decentralizes more and more, which I'm hoping is the case, I think that, it will. that yeah, that will yeah. keep proving to be true. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's heading towards this cliff and it has upside for literally every industry and every single person. The, the problem is, is that, you know, with, with the true manifestation of Web3, like a lot of industries just cease to exist. So those people have to be retrained to find other jobs. And I think that's going to be the only big thing. And it's just like this idea that, oh, it'll put people out of work and they'll find new jobs. Like, you know, electricity put a lot of people out of work, you know, yeah, right? but, but, but they found new work. You know, the Internet put a lot of people out of work, but like they they found new things to do, you know, like cell phones put a lot of people out of work. Right. And, but, yeah. you know, I think that it goes to this idea that the more things are simplified, the more people can be done doing, uh, you know, uh, creative tasks. Right. Like I, I think about it like this. I have friends getting married and they happen to have, um, you know, a lot of issues with lawyers uh, and I have also friends that are getting divorced. They also have a lot of issues with lawyers and friends mm -hmm. that are buying houses. They have a lot of issues with lawyers. And I feel like a lot of these things, like, you know, not to dive deep on Web 3.0, it's like, I, I think people, a lot of people don't understand. And I, and it sounds like you do, but to, to everyone else, right? Like my favorite thing about something like Ethereum is you could essentially write a smart contract for a house. So instead of using a realtor or like these legal paperwork or escrow and all this shit, you could just say, hey, um, my house costs this much money. Um, the first person who sends me that much money has ownership of my house and it's in this contract. It's done. Like it immediately transfers over. Like, you know, you own it because on the blockchain, everyone else knows you own it. Right. And like, you just saved like two different actuaries, three different lawyers, two different real estate agents. And like, that's a lot of money and time those people should have been making, but like that frees them up to do things that they want to do, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like a beautifully efficient system of ownership if done correctly, I think. Yes. But I was, when I was in San Diego, Actually, yeah, close to you a couple of weeks ago, I went to a super interesting talk on on exactly this. And um, I'll, I'll try and get the guy's name for you. I totally forget what it is now. But he was saying that, in his opinion, we are at like the, the equivalent with NFTs as, you know, the Internet was in the late 90s. Like, yeah, we are we're just at the, Yeah. And yep. it's, it's going to be so much bigger and so interesting. And we, we really don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. If I hear one more person say like, oh, they're just, you know, ownership of JPEGs, I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so because like I see their point, but those are just cynics or pessimists. And and I understand that like a lot of people are getting with a lot of fraud in the space. But the whole idea of Web 3.0 is basically removing power from massive organizations, part one. And part two, removing censorship and making things free and open again. And then part three, most importantly, it, it basically if done properly, like removes not only all fraud but the ability for fraud like there's going to be no more uh like people being able to fish for account access to anything online right because it's all you know verified about the blockchain you can immediately basically nip that in the butt immediately right like there's like you don't have to worry about financial transactions being fraudulent you don't have to worry about like being scammed out of things it's just everything is just so simple because like it's basically one collective system of everyone being like hey we're going to know if you try to do something sketchy. And when you do, you're going to immediately face the consequences by not being able to do it anymore, you know, um, which is yeah. beautiful. And that's what really excites me too. Like there's a site, like, like taking it away from the big 
corporations and like owning your data. There's a site called, um, I believe it's DTube, which is mm. essentially YouTube um, built on blockchain technology. That's cool. So users, you can actually download like all of your videos or they, there's a, they've created an API where you can take all of your videos on YouTube and put them on DTube. That's great. Really easy. And then you have ownership of all of the content, which mm -hmm. right now if you have videos on YouTube, you don't, right? YouTube owns them. Um, and users earn crypto for streaming. That's great. So it, it's super interesting. Yeah. And I think there's just going to be more and more like that of like decentralizing, taking the power and like the data ownership away from these big corporations. And yeah. Users. Unfortunately, I just see it also coming full circle where like, you know, Google isn't stupid, right? And Apple isn't stupid and Amazon isn't stupid. So what they'll yeah, do is sure. they'll, they'll let someone like DTube iron all the kinks and then they'll either buy them or if they refuse to get bought, then they'll just replicate it. And they already have a larger audience and they'll figure it out. And But YouTube and the other, they may say, oh, we're going to lose all this data and privacy and the ability to own these videos, but we're going to gain X, Y, Z, right? It's like there's always... I think I think there will never be a system where it's it's fully round, as in like there's not still someone siphoning off some amount of money because they're running it. That that has to happen. Yeah. But I think there's gonna be less of that, right? Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see how it's all gonna go. For sure. I mean, like I don't know if you saw the report last year. Like every single Facebook account is worth somewhere around two hundred and sixty dollars in data per year when given to the right entities and mined properly. Like that's wild. That's why they're wow. worth so much money, right? <laughs> you know, two yeah, billion users wild. times two sixty, right? That's why you get their trillion dollar valuation. You know, um, that is a wild statistic. Yeah, and, and that includes Instagram too. So like, like an Instagram, yeah. like the data, someone especially with shopping. Like as soon as someone, as soon as they go yeah. shopping, you're like, oh, they, this is Endgame. This is what it, this is so what Endgame looks like. Product tags in the states, right? Yes. Has that come to you guys yet? Yep. Yeah, that's that's also a whole nother level. Yeah, the, the wildest thing is some of it's happening automatically too. Like users aren't even giving permission. They're like, oh, they're wearing this H&M top that you can buy right yeah. now and get shipped to your door for free shipping and add to microplastics in the ocean if you want to, you know? <laughs> what? That's, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's killing me. I think I think some things are passing the, passing the line um, and there's definitely still some weird shit going on with um, surveillance. Like, I had yeah. this business meeting, all three of us had iPhones, all of us opened up Instagram at one point to like show off some things. And we were talking about these companies that essentially make really good knockoff versions of really expensive perfumes and colognes and then sell them at like cents in the dollar. So like if you wanted like uh, Bleu de Chanel or something from Diptyque or Byredo, these like two, normally three mm -hmm. to $400 bottles, you could buy something for 40 bucks that, that smells nearly identical, right? And you basically, they have an engine where you just type in the perfume you want and it give, and it spits out their version of it, right? Um, so this is like a hyper niche industry. Like something I didn't even, I, it makes sense that it exists, but like didn't even know it existed. Um, yeah. And literally the week after, all I was served was ads on Instagram for these kinds of products. And it's funny enough, my, my partner who was at the table with me, um, he, I, I said, Hey, have you, have you been receiving ads of like this thing that you and I never searched before in our entire lives and never talked about yeah. before, but now we have it. And he, he was getting the exact same ads that I was. And he was screenshotting them. And he's like, by the way, I've been screenshotting these. Like I was about to talk to you about this, but this is wild. Uh, that is so creepy. It yeah. So it's, uncomfortable. it's crazy. I don't think we really understand like, how much data we are just like pumping into the web for people to to advertise to us like th there's just so much yeah 
Um, there's a great movie called Accepted. I don't know if you've seen it or not, where it's uh, like Blake Lively, Lewis Black. I forget the main character's name, but he's like, doesn't get in any school, so he makes his own school. Um, it, it came out in like the mid-2000s, like 2006 or seven. Yeah, um, but there's this great rant that Lewis Black, you know, as a comedian, goes on. He's talking about like how, you know, no one has figured it out yet, but all these mass corporations essentially just trying to propagate our data to become buyers and sellers buyers and sellers um and, and at the time everyone's like oh you're crazy man and he's just like oh he's pretty spot on <laughs> yeah what was that famous saying like if the product is free you are the product, the product? Right? correct yeah yeah <laughs> it's 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 i'm a big believer in that as someone who makes and owns a couple products and companies that that do that do you know pull data but i i believe in mm -hmm. like you know I, I'm de I've been developing a travel app for a long time that's meant to essentially um, democratize luxury travel agents. Something I believe that you know travel agency is something that um, siphons a lot of money from people, but also provides a lot of value. Right? It's like the value I think is worth it for the average person that uses a travel agent. But I think it also can be a lot of it can be automated using AI. Right? Um, and that's the point of that 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 experience. Right? Um, and you and I can talk more about it offline, but I obviously can't talk a lot about it here on the podcast. But um, we realize the amount of data we're going to be pulling from users about their travel habits and, and, and movement habits is going to be incredibly valuable. And we basically decided early on that like, we're fine with utilizing data to improve our own system. We're even fine with selling data to someone like Expedia to help them, you know, help their pricing algorithms, but we'll never actually give them the identifiers that would allow them to figure out who, who the people are. Like it'd be basically black box data. Like you can see how many people want to go here. You can see how many people want to go to this place. You can see when they want to go. That's fine. But you're never going to have like an identifier that allows you to, um, you know, collate the data or identify individual users and attach them to existing data sets. Because there are, you know, secretive organizations that will literally be able to, given enough data, link a random data set to someone else already in their system. Um, and yeah. so basically building, building some kind of, backend that allows a system to basically remove all the metadata that would allow a system like that to basically combine data sets. Or even if we meant we give them in bulk, basically saying like, okay, so you, you want to know like how many people want to go to this place? Here's the number. Like we're not going to give you the actual string of digits that are involved with everything else they like, you know, but yeah, it's a lot. Um, but I think that's yeah, where things are heading. So sure. it's good that you're establishing that hard line before somebody asks you for it and you have to make a decision in the face of probably a bunch of cash though. Like absolutely more clear-headed yeah and and also like i i will give users the ability to not have their data tracked but they have to pay for it right it's yeah. like like as i say like if you want to use this for free all right <laughs> i need to, I need to be able to make some kind of money off this right yeah. people don't realize that people are like oh these things should be all free and they shouldn't track my data it's like okay it wouldn't exist you know, you like these new features in Instagram and Facebook. You like being able to, you know, video chat for free on Facebook with your grandkids. Or you like to be able to, like, write your, you know, modus operandi about the Democratic Party of the United States on Facebook that no one reads. Like, great. But, like, if it's free, then they have to, they're going to have to pay for their bill somehow, you know, right? Like, yeah. Wow. Um, but, okay. So, this that was a fun tangent. Um, I'm going to get you out of here on some rapid fire questions. Um, you can answer good. these in as many or few words as you like. Um, and there are no rules and you're allowed to pass if you'd like. Uh, and if you want me to come back to you, then we can. Um, so the first question is if you had a billion dollars, um, let's just say a billion Canadian dollars, um, mm. that you couldn't spend on yourself or your family. Uh, what problem would you try to solve or attempt to solve or be part of the solution for? Oh my goodness. That's such a hard one. Um, if it was 
if it was in Canada, I think I would probably keep it Canadian focused. Um, I think there's a lot of like truth and reconciliation work that we have to do with our indigenous communities that um, we as Canadian settlers have a lot of reparations for. Um, and I think if, if I were in Canada and I was given a billion Canadian dollars, I would focus in on that and, um, and on that, on those issues there. Yeah. I think that's a very valuable use of resources these days. Um, and I've, and I don't think we should get in deep on that, but like, it's amazing the amount of people that just seem to turn a blind eye to that kind of news or revelation when it's actually like, you know, super, super sad and something that should be addressed immediately. Right. It is. Yeah. There's been some horrifying news coming out about Canada's history in the past year or two. Um, yeah. But you know, as, in America, oh. we're not much better. So <laughs> at, if yeah. at all, uh, based on our past. So, um, is, is there a story that your parents, family like to tell about you? Um, I don't think so. Maybe when you were younger or something funny that happened, something bad that happened. I feel like, every, you know, parents like, oh, this one time and Annie was four. Like they tell it eight times a year, you know. There actually isn't. Like I, if I think of one, I'll, I'll send you a message after. But like I truly can't think of think of a story that gets told about me a lot. That's great. It means you probably have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot. I don't know if there's the people that have a billion stories. And it's funny because like people either answer that question with like, I can think of one or like, oh, I have dozens. Which one should I tell? You know, right? It's like. Yeah, I think I was just like a super shy kid and didn't particularly do anything of note. <laughs> All right. You don't have to put yourself down like that, but. <laughs> Be, you know, like I, I always say to myself, because I, I went through this a lot. It's one of my tenants. It was like one of my pillars of anxiety was like, are you going to be kind to my past self? Like, you know, I didn't know any better. Right. So, so I think that's what you should do, you know, be kind to your past self. You didn't know any better. Um, and I think, I think, I think it's one of those things where like, if, if past Annie could see future Annie, past Annie would be very excited about future Annie and being able to be that one day. Right. That's what you want. That's like, that's what you want to be like your biggest, you know, hero in life should be the person you want to become. Right. Um, it's a good mindset. Yeah. I I already asked you about your beliefs. Um, So, uh, you know, kind of a cliche question based on our conversation, but like, if you, if you had the option to travel anywhere in the world right now, like bags packed, full expenses paid, um, let's just keep it to earth for now. Um, is there a place that immediately you'd be like, I'm going here right now? Yeah. Like if it was covered and the whole thing was facilitated, I would a hundred percent go to Antarctica just because I have I truly like don't really know how I would get there myself and it's such a (laughs) haul (laughs) and I really want to go I just think it's it's such like an unexplored underrated cool part of the world with actually like a lot of history of like exploration and absolutely science you seem like someone that also do one of the more hardcore like missions and less of like the luxury cruise and champagne and the ice type cruise anyways so yeah I'd want to go on like like a science exploration kind of thing and like yeah. do like a trek and see where like amundsen went that yeah. kind of vibes the hardcore stuff you know maybe go yeah. climb uh was it vincent massive the, the tallest peak in Antarctica? yeah like how years. epic would that be 
Yeah, I want to do it too. It's like honestly, I, I've I've I love climbing mountains, and I want to do all the super tall ones in each of the places. And like, I was looking at cost, and the one in Antarctica is almost as much as Everest in terms of like getting out there and getting the people and the guides and the porters and the permits, because like it is just literally in the middle of nowhere, like genuinely in the middle of absolute nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. And if something happens, it's, you're not getting out of there. So, <laughs> like Everest yeah. is far more. Everest is a Seven Eleven compared to this place, you know. Um, My dad's like all time hero is um, Amundsen, like that yeah. the Arctic explorer from Norway. And yeah, I would love to like just kind of like retrace his steps and like they just discovered his ship. Yeah, it kind of blew my mind. It didn't. It didn't really like. I only saw. I saw like all my friends and people like you that are adventurers like it was in that circle strongly like in terms of shared on social but like most people just didn't even bat an eye they're like oh some old person some ship it's like oh that's well, kind of sad really realize how absolutely epic he was like, oh, oh yeah like that whole story is i mean the modern person won't even go hiking in the woods by themselves like this guy before even the advent of electricity was you know sending it around a globe that everyone thought was flat you know <laughs> so yeah exactly right um, okay, so I'll get you out of here on this last question, and I feel like you could probably have a good answer for this, but um, if you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, where would it be, and what would you say? Oh my gosh. That is such a good question. Um... I feel like pro I would probably have to do some research, but I think that I would want to send it to an area where like they're being censored and don't have a lot of information. And it would probably, the first one that's coming to my mind right now is like North Korea. Yeah. And I would want to consult with a government on like a vital piece of data or statistic that like people need to know that they're not being allowed to know in that area, which is vague, but I think I would, I would want it to be like, like if, if I'm getting this one chance, I want to make it count. <laughs> Absolutely. I like that. That's, yeah, that's, that's the first of this kind that, uh, that response just gave. So huh. yeah, most of them yeah, are like, unhappiness. Like, so a piece of data or information to like, to uh, like probably like North Korea or part of the world that like would not have access to that data. And it would be like a little bit mind blowing. Yeah, or even what's going on in Russia right now with like the suppression yeah. of news media regarding Ukraine, right? Like most Russians think that like this is a peaceful humanitarian mission and don't see any of the footage of like what's actually happening, which is wild. <laughs> think about it. Something like that. Yeah. Great. Um, is there anything you want to mention or plug or say before we close this up? Um, not really. Mostly just thank you so much for having me. That was a great conversation. Um, yeah, you can find me on my Instagram. It's at Annie McIntosh. Annie has two E's. Um, and that's about it. Great. And all, as I said, everything we mentioned, uh, including how to find Annie, it will be linked below. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about my throat now. Um, <clears throat> but otherwise, <laughs> I hope you have a good rest of your day, Annie. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you too. Talk soon. And thanks again for having me. Always. Bye-bye. I hope you all enjoyed this episode with myself and Annie McIntosh. You can find Annie on Instagram at Annie McIntosh. That's A-N-N-I-E-E-M-A-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. 
And as always, you can find me online at Rob Auchincloss. Just a reminder, if you'd like to pre-order your issue of the Holocene magazine, you can do so online at holocene.one, and we cannot wait to show you what we've been working on. As always, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.